Welcome back to another episode of Better Than I Found It, the podcast, all things college golf. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor University. My guest today on Better Than I Found It is University of Oklahoma golf coach Ryan Hibble. Ryan and I go back to his high school days when I was the assistant coach at Oklahoma State. Mike Holder and I were recruiting Ryan. He was the number one ranked junior player in the country, and it was quite a recruiting battle. We didn't end up getting him. He went to University of Georgia, where he was an All-American. But he has since become one of the great college golf coaches in the country. And Ryan has a lot of wisdom and certainly has a lot of great perspectives that I think are worth hearing. So I truly hope you enjoy this podcast. All right, better than I found it, listeners, let's all give a big welcome to University of Oklahoma men's golf coach, Ryan Hibble. Coach Hibble, so good to have you on here. I've been wanting to do this for quite a while. Well, I appreciate you uh, inviting me and and staying persistent and uh, can't wait to get into it. Well, you say persistent, that's true, because sometimes I ask at inopportune times and we're either busy with recruiting or coaching or whatever, but uh, thank you so much for doing this. This should be a blast. Um, You and I have a history. We have a history going back to my basically first year as an assistant coach for Mike Holder, and that's 1997, and I remember the first time I saw you, actually saw you, was at the... I believe it was Doral in maybe what would have been your junior year in high school. Uh, man, that's a long time ago. Mm, that is a long time ago. I actually randomly just talked about Doral with a guy I met in the pro shop at Jimmy Austin this past week. His his uncle was one of the founding fathers of the Doral Publix Junior. We talked about uh, that event. Uh, you know, back in the day, it was something that we all kind of put on the schedule right around Christmas time and. And to be honest with you, uh, to jump in there on a memory, one of uh, I actually won that tournament maybe maybe in '97. I can't remember; might have been '98. Uh, but playing the 18th hole, the Blue Monster coming down the stretch, winning the golf tournament was extremely difficult. And I'll never forget; I hit a six iron to the middle of the green uh, to win that golf tournament. It still sticks out as one of the best shots I've ever hit in my life, um, just because that is a hard. Mm-hmm. Tough, big-time hole. I don't know if you remember watching Tiger win there. Uh, I think it was when, one of the early World Golf Championships, and he was just limping home trying to make a bogey. <laughs> he, he blew that driver straight right and just kind of laid up and hit a poor wedge and just somehow or another made a bogey to win by one. It's not an easy shot. It's not, especially you think about the, the late 90s when the ball was spinning everywhere. Uh, I mean, to put the tee ball – you had to put in this little sliver of grass to the right because you couldn't cover it. Uh, it always seemed like it was somewhat back into the breeze. And then that iron shot coming in pretty, pretty narrow, narrow green. Anyway, that's our time on Doral, but it's, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, that was a great golf course. Yeah. And I remember that spring after I'd followed you there, Mike Holder, I was obviously his assistant coach and you were one of the targets we had uh, for the upcoming classes. And, we actually saw you, I saw you at Firestone, and you were paired with J.C. DeLeon, a kid we were recruiting as well. Uh, so I, I remember that. So I've got these early memories of of Ryan Hibble kind of in the recruiting process when I was following. And I and I've seemed like I when I was following you, I was following with either Bruce Hepler or Chris Hack. But 
there were there were two other coaches always in tow and that was not an easy those two really tough guys to recruit against yeah that was the good old days um i mean heck that was back we're, we're into the national letter of intent signing week this week right everybody's signing yes if you think about that uh coach mcgraw i mean that's back when my my years some of the the final years of, of guys extending all the way their commitment until uh, I want to say I committed to the University of Georgia maybe three weeks before NLI week. Um, just the pressure that came along with that as a coach now thinking about that and how just, you know, we didn't know any better back then because that was that was standard. Uh, but for you guys as, as a coaching staff, I can imagine how stressful that was. Well, I do remember being stressful. But I remember two things that really stick out. One was the actual recruiting visit you took to Stillwater which we need to talk a little bit about. But the other was the uh, PJ National. It was a junior event there in the middle of the summer. It was hot. And I got there way early. And I told Mike Holder, I'm going to go down there and nobody's going to follow Ryan Hibble more than me. And so I got there the day before the practice round. And they were playing two different golf courses that week. And I looked on the starting sheet for the next morning. You were the only junior golfer scheduled to tee off one of the golf courses at 7 a.m. And I thought, this will really impress Ryan Hibble. And I was there at 6.55. And you looked at me like, what in the world are you doing here? And I walked 18 holes before Bruce Hepler got there, before Chris Hack got there, because they watched the afternoon. And, okay, that was I was one up on those guys. Yes, you were in your bone pants and an orange shirt every day. He wore bone every pants day. every day. For all, all you listeners, he he, lo he loves bone pants and still does. Yeah, I still wear those. I'm in a pair of, of stone or bone or whatever you want to call them, off-white uh, pants today because that's all I know. They're easy. I think um, it's easy when you don't have to choose what to wear. You just, you just go in the closet and there's a pair of bone pants and that's what you wear. It's pretty good. But the other memory I have is Mike Holder deciding this is going to be the greatest visit a recruit has ever had ever so we did everything we found out what your favorite music was and we got some cds we found out uh, that you love playing ping pong we bought a ping pong table for the indoor facility we did everything and mike holder put me on on in on charge that week that i was going to eat faster and more than any human ever has to really impress you with my eating skills how'd that do you did great. Uh, from what I recall, we went to a little pancake shack, and I, I want to believe you ate at least four or five pancakes before I even touched my eggs. So uh, you've always been able to do exactly uh, what you needed to do. So, uh, you know, me not coming to Oklahoma State wasn't wasn't your fault at all. It was nobody's fault. It was just, uh, just part of the recruiting process, Coach. <laughs> it was part of the recruiting process. But I will say this. We gave our best effort, and Ryan Hibble ended up a, a Georgia Bulldog, and Honestly, that's a whole nother story. Uh, what a career you had there and what a team you guys had there while you were there. Um, but before I get to Georgia, before we get to your playing career, um, let's talk about your family because you come from a family of coaches, educators, athletes, all a little bit of all of that. Let's talk about it. I mean, your dad, obviously a coach, your mom, an educator, and I think your mom was an athlete as well and your brother, a great quarterback at the University of Oklahoma, and you obviously were a quarterback and a golfer. So talk about how that all came about, such an athletic family. 
Yeah, you know, the older I've gotten, the more I've had time to reflect back, obviously, um, on on my upbringing and my family, and just so thankful um, of, of not only my family, but where I grew up, a little small town in Hazelhurst, Georgia. Uh, I give a lot of credit to the neighborhood that, that I was part of. I, I don't think that gets maybe enough credit in the, in the sports world of what backyard ball means, because um, we would go from each person's house We'd go swim, we'd go play baseball, we'd go play football, basketball. We'd ride our bikes out of the golf course. I used to live about a mile and a half away, so I'd have to load up my golf bag and ride down the busiest street in Hazelhurst, Georgia, uh, with my golf bag while semis were blowing their horn. And that's what we did um, all summer long. And and thankfully, I grew up in a time frame where, where that was allowed. Uh, because nowadays I don't think you see that anymore. I'm not going to see a kid with a golf bag on their, on their bicycle riding to the golf course. Um, but yeah, my, my, you know, it starts with my mom and my dad, my mom, even though she was a, a an educator, she was the, one of the greatest coaches of, of all time, uh, coaching her two sons along the way. And, uh, she was very uh, disciplined in who she was and, and what our family was about, uh, you know, my dad was super busy. He was a high school football coach in AD, basically my whole, uh, you know, upbringing. So he was really busy and dad was very involved with, with all of our sports, but he was also very busy with his job as well. So mom took the brunt of, of a lot of our scheduling and, and uh, you know, just always was very, very supportive of what we were doing. And, and um, I don't ever remember my mom, uh, being that person that critiqued very much, you know, I think she always knew that we were given everything that we had and believed in us and, and, uh, just was, was there for, for us and, and making sure that we were on time and doing everything right. Um, uh, and, and so we learned a lot from, from my mom, for sure. My dad, uh, he was a great football coach. Uh, I, he wasn't a good football coach. He was a great, great one. Uh, he always got, the most out of his teams. You know, we were in a double A school, which back then there was only four classifications in Georgia. So double A, you know, it, that's a small school, but it's not the, it's not super small. Um, we were always very, very competitive. Uh, and, you know, that just growing up in the locker room, uh, I, I've also been able to look back over the years and realize that whenever I stepped foot into coaching and why I knew maybe, coaching was something that I wanted to do. Uh, a lot of it was because I was maybe ahead of the game in that in some departments that other guys that get into coaching, they, they didn't have, you know, 18 years of being in a locker room like mm -hmm. I was. I mean, as a, as a young baby, I mean, I'm sitting there hanging out with everybody. Um, and so I learned a little bit more, um, you know, at, in my, you know, rearing days uh, on, on how to deal with teams and, and personalities and people and, and how to manage and, and all those kinds of things, because I was just fortunate enough to be, a, be around it as a, as a young kid. Well, I mean, your dad obviously was a, a great influence on your coaching. I would, I would assume. And I mean, like if your dad gave you one thing or something, what are the best things your dad gave you that made you a, the coach you are today? Cause he gave you something. Yeah, I, I would say this, that my dad, um, I think anybody that played for him, would come back and say the same thing that he always was able to get the most out of all of his players by digging in and being very disciplined in, in what they did on a day-to-day -day basis 
And, um, you know, obviously the X's and O's of football are way different than golf, but still just trying to figure out how to get the most out of every team every single day is ultimately, you know, my job, our job um, as coaches. And, you know, we're, we're trying to make a, a huge influence on our guys, but, but still uh, why they hire us is to try and get the most out of our teams. And, um, you know, when you get through the program of my dad's, <clears throat> the, the guys that made it through the program and, and now everybody talks about culture, you know, that's the, you know, that's the, the common theme word. I grew up that word being program and what your program is all about, <clears throat> excuse me. And my dad's program, if you made it through, you always wanted to come back and be a part of that next generation. And a lot was because you knew that you gave everything that you, that, that you had and that you didn't leave anything back. And that's what we try and do here with our guys and our program as well. Well, that, that is probably, you couldn't have said it better, honestly, because that's what I've witnessed, you know, as a, a colleague of yours, as a, 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 a contemporary, a peer of yours. I mean, I've noticed that it seems like your players almost always get the most out of themselves and you're, you're helping them do that. Good to hear that your dad was a big part of that. You know, I've got a good friend of mine, Vince Clark, who's the coach at McLennan right here in Waco, Texas. And I think he does the same thing, but he just does it in a different way. And he's taught me a lot about that. So I'm learning all the time about, you know, my job is not to have the flashiest this or the flashiest that. My job is to make sure that uh, this young man, whatever his name may be, is better than he was when he got here. And I, I've, I've seen how your players do that. And it, it's kind of amazing. You keep on doing it year after year. So program instead of culture. I like that way better than culture. Culture is overused. It's just too much. So. All right. So um, your mom and dad had a big influence, but your brother, Nate, who was a great quarterback at the University of Oklahoma, I think he he was 23 and two or something in, in two years of an amazing record and uh, spent much of the time as the number one ranked team in the country for those two years. Tell me about how Nate made you a better athlete and maybe a better coach as well. Well, he certainly made me a better athlete um, and a better person. I'm going back to my Hazelhurst days of us growing up in, in this neighborhood area, uh, a group of guys that were super competitive. And and my brother, I've always been the benefactor of having a two-year-old brother. Um, it, it, the younger the younger brother always gets the benefit, you know, and he beat me up and, and uh, taught me a lot of lessons along the way. But it may, I mean, there's a reason why I always had a chip on my shoulder growing up, and a lot of it was because of him. I wanted to beat him in everything that I that I did. Um, I never viewed myself as being younger, even even though they called me Little Ryan. That was my name, or Little Hip. Uh, I never really viewed myself as that. Um, you know, I always thought that that I could be uh, as competitive as as the older guys were, and my brother was a big part of that. He was always very good. You know, and you know this, Coach. Uh, our paths were interesting because Nate was probably more wired to go golf-wise earlier in his day, and I was actually probably a little bit more wired to go football. And then about my seventh, eighth grade year, I could see that my golf, you know, I was becoming one of the better players in the country kind of at a younger age, and my brother turned into this six foot four, 220-pound man who was a great quarterback, actually was, I think, and, and he knows this, I think he I think he messed up. He could have been, he should be maybe an NFL punter to this day. 
Mm. Uh, um, he is a great punter, was a great punter, uh, could bomb. I mean, you know, he's, he's huge. He's got these big levers, uh, but he played quarterback and, and had a great career. That was all just awesome to watch him go through that. But, but having that older brother and that competitive spirit for me, you know, still drives me to this day. We still drive each other. He's got a great business in Atlanta right now, a restaurant business that he started up 10 years ago. He now has 14 stores. He sees what we're doing with our golf team, and I think it drives him, you know, to continue to, to be great. I think that's the way we were wired and and very fortunate to be in that in a household that uh, thrived on, on uh, you know, trying to be as great as you can be. You know, we've, we don't have a very long time here in this world, and and let's try and do it as, as great as we can along the way. And, um, you know, as a, as a coach is concerned, he just continues to empower me, uh, encourage me. He knows what it means to be out here in Norman. And he knows kind of the situation we walked into, you know, years and years ago and where we've come from. And he challenges me to make sure that we're always kind of reflecting back on that because he thinks that I don't maybe think about that enough. And, always worrying about the future and that, but that's what we do as coaches, right? It's uh, all about that next, next play and ne next shot. And, and uh, so he does a great job for me now, just being one of our, me my mentors. And I always, I lean on him quite a bit. Well, he, he was the, obviously the head or the quarterback at one of the best programs in the United States of America at the time. And then, then his younger brother becomes the golf coach at that same school. So I do want to talk about that, which is kind of crazy, but we don't want to gloss over or pass by your four years at Georgia. Uh, you guys had a great team, had some tour players on that team, had uh, you guys were ranked every pretty much every year in the top five uh, for sure, and sometimes number one. I think there was one year when you had all five guys average below 71 or something like crazy ridiculous. It was in those days, it was kind of crazy, but you had a great team. You played for Chris Hack and Jim Douglas who are still there. I mean, they're still at Georgia. It's crazy. Hack is my age. I I think of him as being a lot younger than me, but he's actually my age. <laughs> Talk about those four years. Well, first of all, two, two just beauties in our business, uh, Chris Hack and Jim Douglas, two of my great friends. Because not only did I play for those two guys, you know, I actually replaced Douglas as the assistant golf coach, um, you know, back in 05. And so I worked with Hacker. And so, you know, we're we're a lot more than just player-coach relationship now. I mean, we've been doing this for – I've known Hacker for almost 25 years now. And and so – and same thing with Douglas. They're just great friends of mine. And, yeah, college was was a phenomenal time. I mean, I rolled in. You can imagine this. Um uh, they had just won the national championship in 1999, 2000, uh, the year after. Uh, th so this would have been the year before I got there. They, they didn't play as great, but still just a, a top three program in the country. I come in, we've got, you know, Nick Cassini, who's a Walker Cupper, and Eric Compton, uh, one of the greatest golf stories ever, uh, double heart transplant, uh, uh, All-American, David Miller, All-American, Brian Odom, All-American. Oh, and by the way, Bubba Watson. Hmm. All-American, two-time Masters champion. And, you know, I, I'm i one of the big big dogs in my mind, right? I, there's no way that these guys are any better than me. And I kind of came in that way, too. I mean, I, I played – I had a great freshman year. I mean, I was a third-team All-American, and Bubba Watson was our sixth man, which is kind of hard for people to understand. Um, and and but that's how good we were as a golf team. I mean, all five of us were third-team or higher All-Americans that year. 
we won. That was back when, you know, Hacker and I would, would kind of joke about it, but we would go to tournaments and try and figure out how many we were going to win by, not if mm. we were going to win. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we didn't play great at the national championship. We, we, we played okay, and Florida got super high that week at Duke, and they just wore everybody out. Uh, but that was a great team that I was on, uh, you know, that year, and, and a, lot of, a lot of fun memories for sure. And, um, you know, college was, was phenomenal. I learned a lot about myself, who I, who I was. It really helped me uh, as I've gone into the coaching world. I try to not have my guys fall into the, some of the pitfalls that I fell into as a college player. And uh, so it's, it's, you know, the ebb and flow of college golf is, is interesting. And, and my career is as interesting as anybody's because I, you know, first team all American my sophomore year. And by the time I'm a senior, my springs of my senior season, I'm not even in the lineup because my golf game's struggling so badly. Now, granted, we also had great players. You might've heard of them, uh, Brendan Todd and Chris Kirk and, and uh, Kevin Kisner and, I mean, I've heard of every one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, I was saying that facetiously because these guys are all, you know, big time PGA Tour players now. And, and, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it was an interesting career. And then, uh, you know, because of some of my struggles and where I was at, I, I realized that I didn't maybe, uh, want to go play professional golf because I felt the, the need to get into the coaching world. And, and I just, I had that desire, uh, to, to do it. And, and so, you know, Fast forward another, you know, 15, 16 years, I'm, that's, that's still where, where my mind is. Well, you're a great coach, and you obviously know I have a lot of respect for you from that standpoint. That's one of the reasons you're on this podcast today. Um, I think you've got a lot to offer our profession and for a long time. But you did take over at the University of Oklahoma in, I guess it would be the summer of 2009, and you took over a program that was not doing very well compared to what it had once been it had once been a, a perennial power and it was no longer that so <clears throat> before we get into i'm going to ask you a question about the rebuild but before we get to that it needs to be said publicly that i actually hand delivered you <laughs> to joe castiglione at jimmy's egg on i-35 <laughs> let's make no mistake about it you had come to stillwater to interview with mike holder myself as the assistant coach for both programs. And while you were in the airport, you got a call in the Atlanta airport from Joe Castiglione. <laughs> wow. No, not many wow. people know this. Yeah, this is a pretty wild story. And um, <laughs> when it comes out, I always get hammered by people about how this works. And you got to backtrack a little bit, kind of my, my wonky playing career. I, I actually turned professional being the assistant golf coach at the University of Georgia, I had gotten my game back, my motivation, my desire. So I turned pro the end of 2007. Then I bust up my elbow, the start of, of 08, have surgery. And I realized I got to get back. I, I had a family support, by the way, at this time. I was married. I had a, a, a my, my, my firstborn, Addie. Uh, she was born in 07. So it wasn't as simple as, hey, we're just going to keep hanging on and keep grinding through this pro golf. I needed a job. And so, and at that time, I was trying to figure out what I was going to, what I was going to do. And obviously coaching was, was as high up on that list as possible. I called up coach Holder and said, Hey, I'm looking for a job. He goes, well, I might have you one, you know, just hang on tight. Well, in the meantime, the Oklahoma head, head job had come open. Well, because my brother had played here, because I knew a little bit of, of some players in the game, 
there, there might be an opportunity even coming from the position that I was in. Well, lo and behold, it didn't look very good for me on the University of Oklahoma. I was moving forward with Oklahoma State. Uh, my wife had already uh, bought a couple orange shirts, mm-hmm. uh, which to this day, we don't have any orange really in our house. Um, as you know, a Georgia Bulldog, that's a Florida Gator. That's a Clemson Tiger. That's an Auburn Tiger. So similar at, at the University of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State and the Texas Longhorns have an interesting color too. So that being said, um, I get a phone call back from the Oklahoma boys and uh, this was on my trip out to Stillwater and they were like, uh, well, sounds like we need to move kind of quickly. I was like, well, maybe we do, but I go and, and, you know, meet up with coach Holder and coach McGraw and, and uh, you're right. You, you popped me in the car the next day and hand delivered me to Joe Castiglione and, and I took the job the next day. So, well, there was two reasons. One, I wanted to show you I was a good guy. And, you know, even though I knew <laughs> I knew you weren't going to be an assistant for me if you had a head coaching possibility. But number two, I wanted to meet Joe Castiglione. And the very first thing I did when I met Joe Castiglione, I think I said, or maybe I said it in my mind, but I think I said, hey, Joe, it's great to finally meet you. And here's your new head golf coach, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> but wow. anyway. The rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> You've been there ever since. Been there, yeah. You're 14 now, um, Coach. It's it's amazing to think back to it when I when we took over here. You know, we we had a lot of changing to do in our program, and um, we we gave a lot of love into the guys, but we certainly had to. And, and you'll you'll love this story. Um, we we certainly had to change our program and and what that meant, right? No better uh, sign of that than this past week. I, I had a comment from one of my current guys, okay? He goes, Coach, I've heard all these old stories from back when you first started here. You've gotten softer. Hmm. I've, I've heard all these stories. And I looked at him. I said, let me tell you, I haven't gotten softer. But our mentality and who we are as a program has, has significantly changed. It's like when you when you get a group of like-minded individuals like what we currently have because we've been working on it for years, the expectation doesn't need to be changed on what the work's going to be, right? The work is already expected to be happening and taking place. And what are you doing in your off season? What are you doing in the summertime? And what are you doing? Because forget, forget about when when we actually you know have the call d- during the school year. It's it's all this other stuff. Well, back then we didn't we didn't quite have that. So yeah, we had to change a lot of who we were and a lot of our programming pieces. And, and so it's just, it's amazing when I think back to it and where we've come from, you know, the mindset is, is everything. And, and when you are able to get that group of people around you, forget about talent. Talent is what it is. I mean, you can only go as far as, as you can based on, you know, how hard you're willing to work and, and what that looks like. And, and uh, so, no, I don't, I, but, but because of the comment, You'll love you'll love this. We, we you know we're really starting our off season programming today, uh, so we're gonna kind of get get uh, some of, some of the softness straightened out. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that whichever kid said that, you, don't don't publicize his name. He will be an enemy on the team. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Well, you know what? I I don't like to refer to it as an off season. I like to refer to it as another season. And and I know you believe that or you wouldn't be working them the way you're getting ready to. But it's like this isn't 
an off season where a kid, yeah, maybe gets to take a little bit of a breather from the day-to-day competitiveness part of it, but as far as traveling or qualifying. But the truth is this is where he makes gains right now. If he's got a brain in his head, he'll take this other season very seriously. No, there's no doubt. And, and we, we certainly do that around here. And, um, you know, I just try and make sure that our guys are competitive every single day and everything that we do, uh, whether that's in the weight room or, or with their equipment, um, you know, or with our, with our mindset and how we walk into a building and, and all these different things that, that, that we talk about is, you know, how I, I go back to, you know, that neighborhood mentality that I grew up in. I mean, how competitive can you get? Um, and because iron sharpens iron and, and we know that. And, and the, the better, the more uh, better players and people you can surround yourself with, the better you're just going to become. And ultimately that's what our goal is, right. Is to try and figure out by the time they get done with our programming that, you know, are you ready to go play professional golf? Have you treated yourself like a pro during your college years? Because the worst thing that you can have as a college coach is a guy coming back and saying, man, I wasn't prepared for that. Hmm. I wasn't prepared for that. And that is, you know, because I talk to a lot of my old contemporaries even now, you know, I, I still communicate with a lot of those guys and, and ask them questions about what would you do differently? You know, how would you do this and how would you do that? My, my goals are, well, why are we doing anything differently? I want my guys to be more prepared. So when they come out of here, I actually think two years into the professional ranks, they don't, they want to come back because they want that accountability piece again. Cause sometimes you, you get out there and they don't have that accountability. They don't have that team surrounding them. And that's a big challenge that I always get with my guys is make sure that you have your group of people around you uh, to, to create your team, because I know my guys will miss that. Why is live being successful right now? It's because they have a team dynamic. It, that's the only, re- I don't want to say only reason, but that's a big reason. I have Abe Answer, who was one of my best players that's ever played for me here. After the first couple of weeks, I asked him, what are you loving about it? I, I love the team. I love the team. These guys, they they want the team. They love it. Why is the Ryder Cup so successful? Why is the Walker Cup so successful when it comes to what these kids want and, and what they need? It's because they want to lean on each other. If LeBron James did everything for himself, and it was never about a team championship, he wouldn't like it as much either. You know, if Tom Brady did, if there wasn't a team aspect and a team championship attached to it, they wouldn't love it as much either. And that's one of the, one of the frustrating parts about our sport. And that's why college golf is, is so successful. And uh, we really are in the peak of its, of its moment right now, in my opinion, because everybody can get behind their teams. I think that's well said. And I think something that's overlooked sometimes is, is this is the time of your life when you're going to get to be on a team where you generally in professional golf, you do not. So that that's really good. So you've spent, and you said something a moment ago about the people around you. I mean, that's really how you've created this program is with humans, with people, with great people. So that's what you do. And that's what I attempt to do here at Baylor is get great people. So and that's, I think, one of the secrets to maintaining your success that you've been been having. But let's just talk about some people. So I want you to uh, give a little short snippet on each of the people that I'm about to say. OK, one is the earliest commitment, maybe in the history of commitments, would be Brad Dalkey. Uh, and a lot of people criticized you for taking that commitment. But I knew better that his family was an OU family and he was a great player already. 
this this was fine. But tell me about Brad Dawkins. I get that question quite a bit about what has helped us turn our program around. And there's obviously been so many people to, I mean, just great supporting cast throughout the years from players to former players, to administration, to whatever. But um, Abe answer uh, was a big turning point for us because he made us probably look even better than what we were at the time, which allowed me to be able to recruit better players. Uh, but right behind that is, is Brad Dalkey. And <laughs> it was thought out. I don't want you, you know, that was the interesting part. We knew it was going to be big news. I mean, it came on the ESPN ticker mm-hmm. the next day. And uh, Brad was obviously a big-time player at a young age. He loved the University of Oklahoma. But, but we also felt like, and, and he knew this, because I explained it to his mom, his dad, him. Most recruits can help you on the backside of recruiting once you commit. Brad was so young that he was going to help us on the front end. Yes. So guess who shows up on our property before Brad even shows up? And a lot of it's because they knew that we were serious and we were going to be in a way better spot with our program. A guy like Max McGreevy, who ends up finishing off his career with a national championship. A guy like Grant Hirschman, 2014. Um, those guys showed up on property because they knew not just that Brad was, was coming. It was because they knew that we were serious about our golf program. Right. And it gave us validity. And I do, I do remember getting my chops busted by many of my contemporaries at the time going, what are you doing? You know, this is, this is not good. Well, that scenario doesn't happen very much uh in our sport i get it this was a unique situation we needed a little bit of pop with our golf program and and we got it and then the cinderella story for a guy like brad is he had a great career here he wins a national championship and i just you know he he sat with me at our football game this week against the baylor bears which by the way thanks for the thanks for the butt whooping you're, you're very welcome yeah um but you know i just love spending time with my former guys and brad is a great sooner and will forever be. I mean, he's got a lot of pictures up in this building, and we owe him a lot. And and um, uh, you know, when when I get the question about what fills my cup now as I've been doing this, that's a big part of it. When my when my former guys come back, and they uh, are around our program, and they help lift up our other guys and challenge them, and that 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 probably that probably gets me going as much as anything outside of our just development of our current guys. Well, I agree with you there. The uh, question was asked of Amos Alonzo Stagg, who was a great football coach 120 years ago. That's a long time ago. I realized that. But they asked him, how's your team this year? And he said, I don't know. Ask me in 20 years. And you'll know what kind of you know men they become, husbands they become, businessmen, you know, people out in society. And that's the beauty of coaching is you get to have that lifelong relationship. And so when Brad Dalkey comes back and sits with you at a football game, no, he's not – He's not shooting scores for the University of Oklahoma anymore, but he's he's literally becoming the the man that you hoped he would become. And and so I think that's really well said. And thank you for that. But you mentioned Max McGreevy because he was the next guy I was going to ask about. Uh, easily one of my favorite Oklahoma Sooners uh, present. Uh, you know, sorry that I have to say that around you because you're one of my favorite ones as well. <laughs> but Max is an incredible, incredible young man, and probably. 
to me, speaks to uh, the inner will of a human being better than anybody I've ever seen. Just like he's willed a PGA Tour card into existence by who he is. There's no question about it. And, and you know, you're not supposed to have favorites. Um, he's definitely up there on my favorite board. Um, you know, and I go back through his recruiting, and you can remember this because you didn't offer him a spot, and I did. And Ouch. No. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did uh, offer him a spot. Hey, we, we said at the beginning we've got a lot of history, McGraw. We do. Uh, um, no, I'm just teasing, but. I'm going to tell you a quick recruiting story about that because it's one of the best stories of our program. Blake Smart, who was my assistant at the time, he's a, and, and Blake's a great coach. He's the head coach at the University of Memphis. I always have loved how Blake, um, you know, coaches the X's and O's. He does a really, really nice job. And, and at the time we had kind of made the turn uh, a little bit with our program. We made the championship in eleven. We made the championship in 12, not only made the championship, but we honestly, of all the years in 12, 13, 14, that we didn't make ma match play, we should have made match play in 12 at Riviera. Um, <clears throat> we had made the turn, and Max McGreevy was a 2013 graduate, uh, a little bit under the radar. I loved how he worked and practiced. Uh, he was old school in his uh, approach uh, with his dad uh, kind of teaching him how to work and, and how to go about his, his business on the golf course. And so I fell in love with kind of that side of, of, of Max and, and how gritty he was on the golf course. Talent-wise, you know, he wasn't as talented as what most people would sit there and go, well, this guy can really swing it, right? But, man, this guy could get a lot out of his game. And that's kind of who we are a little bit. At, you know, we, I, I try not to lose sight on who we are as a program and, and – uh, you know, even to this day, we we can can wrap our arms around maybe a little bit better player at times, but we still have to remember kind of who we are. And and I always go back to Max McGreevy and thinking about him as a player, as a junior golfer and what he turned into. But he showed up on property. And the reason why I brought up Blake Smart, I told Blake before Max came on his probably second or third unofficial visit, I said, we we're at that point. We're going to create value. Uh, and not feel like we have to throw out these big scholarship offers. And this 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 is our chance right now. We've got our in-state guy. We want him. So Max, his folks show up. I know he wouldn't mind me sharing this story because it's a great story. He shows up and he sits right here in my office where I'm sitting right now across the desk. And I tell him that, you know, exactly what where we're at. What we want you, but at the time we didn't have very much cash. Right. And this this where we're this is where we're at. And he starts crying across the uh, across the way, and he was crying not because of the offer, but he was crying because I, th I think deep down he's never really told me this, but I think he thought it was going to be a lot bigger of a situation to help out his parents because he was thinking about his mom and dad, which I really appreciated, and and I told him I said, man, this is supposed to be a a great time. I want <laughs> you here, and this thing's got a chance of getting better based on you know what ends up happening with the, with the roster and blah, 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 blah. Right. Well, they leave here and it was kind of a sad visit <laughs> mm -hmm. because of this. Right. And sure enough, the next day, Max McGreevy calls me and commits. And, and I, and I told Blake that that afternoon, I was like, we, we finally have, have turned a corner. 
because we have something that we don't have to put a dollars and cents to. And I'm going to say this to you, uh, based on how the roster worked out and, and just how things changed, Max McGreevy ended up basically being on a full scholarship his whole four years, never paid a dime, and finishes winning a national championship. And you want to talk about a Cinderella story um, and, and what he meant. The guy stepped foot on every plane and sat next to me and always was picking my brain about anything and everything. And, uh, you know, he, he went through some tough times. Uh, he was a very emotional guy. He cried in my office a million times. That's why I wasn't afraid to tell you that the first time, because he's, he's just an emotional guy and I love him to death. And, and I'd go to battle with him every single day of the year. And he's just a true warrior. Well, can I tell a story as well? And this, this is what made me, made Max my favorite University of Oklahoma golfer pretty much well before that visit that last visit that he took with you he came up for a visit to me in Stillwater and we got out to the fifth hole and I was just showing him the golf course and uh, I said here let's get out and look at this green it's got like an elephant buried in the middle of the green here on number five let's go look at this and uh, he had his head down and he was crying and I said Max, I'm so sorry. Did, did I say something? I mean, I, I truly didn't mean to. And this is way before you were at the point of offering him, okay? So this is a month or so before that. And and it took him a while to gather himself, but he said, Coach, I just, I've been dreaming my whole life about this moment where, and it finally occurred to me, I'm on a visit at Oklahoma State, and I've come, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. It just kind of overwhelmed me. And so... Some coaches would look at that and say, oh, this kid's soft or or he's just a little too sentimental or sensitive or whatever. I took it the complete opposite. It overwhelmed him that all of his hard work had manifested itself in a visit at one of the best programs in the country. And it just occurred to him. So I know he had that same feeling many, many times with you. Uh, just where's his emotions right there where you can see him. And I love it. I think he's great. And he's on the PGA Tour now. I mean, and just doing great stuff. He just finished well a week ago, and you know, he's 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 a great great story. He's about to get married um, this winter time, and and can't wait to be a part of the wedding. So, really, really love Max McGreevy. Yeah, Max is super. Okay, Charlie Saxon was a golf camper for me at Oklahoma State, and both Max and Charlie have been on this podcast before. So, tell me about Charlie. I love the guy. Oh, big Charles, man, what a guy. Um, came in at his, uh, 150 pounds, left here at 215. Um, always had a mission plan uh, about what he was going to do. And of all the guys I've ever had here at Oklahoma, probably the biggest believer in himself, true believer, not fake, you know, because some guys can can have some fake belief true believer in himself uh, and that's why he is where he is uh, there's no doubt about it and uh, for that I always you know we we learn a lot more from our guys right than, than they probably actually learn from us <laughs> you know that's true. one of the things I always hold on to uh, with Charlie Saxon and and it's always a talking point for me you know personally with my guys is you you, you want to go find you some true belief we got to get more more in line with uh, Charlie Saxon and uh, just one of the greatest guys of all time. I think Charlie's a perfect example of the difference in confidence and conviction. 
he's not just confident. Confidence is something that just comes and goes with the, a feeling, you know. But he's convicted that he's going to be a player. And he's convicted. I was talking to him when he had his injury here in the last year. And, you know, it, he was talking all about how he was going to be back and everything. That guy has true conviction. W- wonderful guy, an awesome guy uh, that walks his faith and really, really good to know. And I will uh, jump in here, too, as well. One of the best things that he ever did for his playing career when he went over to uh, China, which a lot of folks were not willing to do, and I would have put money on it in a month that Charlie would have been lost. At some point, he wasn't very good. He wasn't very aware of mm-hmm. his surroundings at that time. I'm like, Charles is going to end up in you know some weird place over over there, and and uh, I was always worried about him. But he figured it out. He and and he figured out how to win golf tournaments over there, and that's where his confidence picked up that much more and realized that he belonged. And so just a credit to him for going and doing something different. And as golfers, we have to be willing to travel and do some things that are a little bit uncomfortable, right? I mean, that's what, that's what makes us who we are. We have to be uncomfortable and, and feel good about what that looks like and feels like. And and he did that. Definitely did that. That was honestly something I noticed as well. Okay. This one, um, really, really special Kyle Lewis. Um, and his mom and dad, Marty and, and Kelly, uh, tell me, tell me about Kyle. I, I recruited him as well, and just a wonderful human being. Well, if you were in my office right now, I still have a uh, little memorial up on one of my lockers. It's in my office right now, and um, you know, Kyle, he was my first recruit to the University of Oklahoma that that committed to us, um, and just a great guy. He was a leader. He, he loved, he was a great basketball player. I loved watching him play basketball, went to a couple of different games and, and uh, his mom and dad, Marty and Kelly, um, just phenomenal people still very involved with our golf program, by the way, they, they come uh, wish us off at the national championship and big 12 championship every single year. They come to the Charlie coast center and just, you know, give us all big hugs and, and my guys know who they are. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, Kyle passed away in a, in a terrible car crash coming back home from a, a high school, uh, event, uh, in, in late July, it was, a, it was kind of an honorary, uh, event where, where the best players in the state got to go over to, to the Tulsa area and play. And, and, uh, yeah, it was just, it was, a, it was a tough time, terrible time to, to lose a player. Now he had never played for me. So obviously in, in for our team. It would have probably been even that much different, right? It had it happened, you know, two months later. So he hadn't gotten to us. So it was more of a me thing, uh, you know, and obviously a program and athletic department. But it was it, it was just a tough time um, for all of us. And what I'm so thankful for is the Lewis family and their and just their involvement with our program. Um, and they continue to. I and mean, we have, we we have a Kyle Lewis Finish Strong Award uh, that we came up with five or six years ago. Uh, the low final round guy uh, throughout the year gets the Kyle Lewis finished strong award and, and Quade Cummins, uh, you know, one of the best players that we've had here uh, just, just texted me randomly three or four weeks ago and said that of all the awards that he's won, it's that, that one means the most to him. Oh man, that is so good to hear. Yeah. Kyle Lewis, great Oklahoma kid who uh, never got to play for the University of Oklahoma, but uh, his memory still there always will be. Bill Alcorn is a great Baylor Bear who is your assistant coach right now and has been for five or six years anyway. 
I know what make what I think makes Bill a great person. Um, I think he's a great Christian husband, father, uh, certainly good golf knowledge, very disciplined. What do you think are his best qualities? Well, all those same things that you that you just hit up on. He, he's phenomenal. He's great for our program. He's a great leader. Uh, he's found his way as a coach uh, during his time. I mean, he's going into year six now with us, and um, he's he's our associate head coach now, and and deserves that uh, that title. And because he he does everything the right way for our guys, and he's very intentional about uh, how to get you know each one of our guys better. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, why Bill does a great job for us and is a great friend of mine and, and our families and, and is, has turned into not just a good Baylor bear, but he's a now a good Oklahoma Sooner. Appreciate that. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, but you're, you're still a good Georgia Bulldog. Yeah, no, no, I know, I know. yeah. Okay. But, but at the end of the day, he's, he just does everything, um, at a super high, uh, level for us with all, with all of our guys and is truly thinking on a day-to-day basis about what does it mean to try and get the best out of each one of our guys. And, um, uh, you know, I can't ask for anything better out of a guy that, that works with me. Uh, he doesn't work, you know, for me, he works with me. And, and that's what, uh, that, that's what we try and create around here. And on top of that, he's got a great family and family is a big deal for us here and uh, making sure that we are, you know, our, 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 current players understand how valuable our family piece is, right? We can't just be so tied into nothing but work that they don't understand what our family is all about as well. Cause we're with them kind of full time. And uh, a lot of our families miss out. And uh, one of the things that I, I try and make sure that we do is, is not, not have that happen full time. A wonderful example of, you know, my uh, two assistant coaches here at Baylor, Ryan Blagg and now, Mikel, who's the associate head coach as well now, but both of them had young children and I've always made it a real, I don't know, priority that they do not come into the office until their kids are off to school where they need to be. Don't do any of that. And any of this for us, don't do it until you've done that for your family. So I think it's an important commitment. Bill Alcorn, great Baylor bear, great Oklahoma Sooner. (laughs) He's an awesome guy. And I know Bill is going to be a great head coach one day. I don't know when and where, but you and I both feel that. No doubt. Okay. What do you wish you had known in your college experience that would have made you better prepared for pro golf? Now, you just mentioned that earlier. Like, you don't want your players to come back and say, oh, I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd known that. But I did ask this question to several coaches here recently and several players. What do you wish you'd have known in college that would have made the transition? So what do you, if you could answer the question by maybe saying what you're doing for your players that's trying yeah. to prepare them? Go ahead. Yeah, there's a lot going on with that question because yep. I could probably spend a couple hours, you know, trying to figure what what we try and do. But, you know, in a nutshell, uh, you know, treating our mind and our body um, uh lot like a pro. Uh, again, I, I wish I probably would have known my resources better back when I was playing and and understanding what all that meant. I mean, just education is 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 key, right? So so wisdom is is key. I mean, we have things on our side now. And you know, back when I was playing college golf, I'll be honest with you, I feel like the Tiger Woods era, that's that that was my era 
kind of got ruined a little bit because all the swing instructors, all everybody talked about was Tiger's golf swing and how it needed to be, you know, in certain positions and you needed to, you know, coil and, and not move your body, your lower body. And we're going to get the biggest upper body turn and this, 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 this. And it was all about Tiger. Now you have instructors all over the place that are teaching just great body movements and, and, and doing things, um, you know, how your body actually works and how the club works for, for you, but you can make it be better. And I just, I, I like where our, where golf is heading uh, when it comes to the instruction piece, uh, because you can see many, many different golf swings that work well uh, on the PGA tour. And I feel like during my time frame, it was so much more about tiger and that you kind of had to be a certain way. And I had a unique golf swing myself and I got wrapped up in that. And so I, I you know, for me personally, I wish I would have had the wisdom and the education a little bit more of, of what that means. But, you know, for our guys currently, and what we try and do is, to make sure that there is no, uh, you know, transition other than you're going to be playing potentially more golf. But I'm going to tell you, we play as, as much golf as, as as we can around here. Uh, you know, I don't do it maybe like everybody else does it. I don't know. I can't really vouch for other people's programs. But but that's one of the pieces I talk about is how you better be ready to play golf every single day. And, uh, you know, we – we and, and, and compete – now we're not just coming out to play golf. We're, mm-hmm. we're coming out to compete and trying to, you know, again, this is something I talked to my guys about how when you're 10 years old and the first time you shoot, you break 40, you know, we all remember that feeling, right? First time that you shoot 36, I can remember, I can remember the first time I broke par. Can you maintain that same mentality as a sophomore in, in college, you know, into your spring semester and you're not playing? That that's that's the kind of mindset that you have to have. That's one of the reasons why I've always loved Phil Mickelson, um, because I truly feel like the guy's trying to shoot a course record every single time he goes out, and he's just not going through the motions. And I think as golfers, we can do that at times. I'm just going to feel a girl out and see how it goes, and before you know it, you look up, you're through number four, and I'm one over par or I'm one under. And no, no, I I want a guy that that literally is trying to birdie the first hole every single time we go out. And because the start's just as important as the finish. And anyway, I'm getting off on all kinds of different tangents here, but um, you know, it's just one of those things that we, I want our guys to be as prepared as they possibly can to go make money for a living if that's what they want to do. And uh, I would say that any resource we can throw at that, we're going to do and make sure that uh, all their cup gets filled up to where they don't feel like they're, they're empty in any area. Well, uh, piggybacking off of that, it, but also that backyard mentality that you had in Hazelhurst, Georgia, you still want some of that. So you give them all the resources, but you'd, you'd really hope they still have that mindset, I would think. I'm sure that's what you believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the, the resources are what they are. I mean, mm-hmm. If you're not willing to invest in your body and, and your mind and, and your golf like we wanted, then, I mean, I hate to say it, you're going you're gonna to kind of get sifted through the through – the, system in the program um, you know because you guys re- go ahead i was gonna say because guys that that are are all in all the time um they they come out a, a different monster than the guys that just end up kind of somewhat going through the motions yeah you don't want people just going through the motions and you, you speak about resources the best resource you and i have is is great student athletes and the best resource they get is you hope 
you hope as a player, the coach gets another great player in here because you want people around you that are are competitive. I love the fact you say, guys, get ready to play every day and compete every day. It's going to happen. Probably need just about every program could use a little bit more of that. So what's the biggest change you've seen in our coaching profession since you got in? Now that's 15, 16, 17 years since you think I walked with you in your first assistant coaching round in 2005 at uh, Sun River at the preview. I remember walking with you. Um, But what's the biggest change you've seen in that time? I I would say as a profession, I I feel like our coaches have just gotten extremely that much better uh, in my time frame. The the amount of, you know, knowledge and, and education and coaching that goes on now. I mean, like this podcast that you're doing right now. I mean, this is going to be hitting up programs and, and, and you do a great job with that. And so you're giving information out that people can utilize if they want. And it just is happening everywhere. And we just, we have a great group of coaches. I mean, don't we, I mean, let's just acknowledge Mm. it. It is what it is. And there's a reason why I think the dynasties are going to be harder to, to come by because back when, even when I was playing, there was five golf programs that all the good players kind of went to. And now I could pick 50 programs that are great uh, when it comes to the coaching, to the facilities, to the schedule that they'll play, maybe even more than 50, maybe even upwards of 100. I mean, everybody's doing such a great job. And that's why recruiting is that much more difficult because there's more options. And, um, yeah, I would say just in my time frame, I I, I think that the coaching piece has gotten so much better in the last 15, 18 years. A hundred percent agree with you. Coaches are better now. And remember when you were a freshman in college, about 55 or 60% of the power five schools had an assistant coach. I mean, not, not everybody had an assistant coach in those days. And so there's more people getting in. I think more quality people are getting in. And I think there's a lot more information now available. That's, that's been great. All right. A couple more questions here before we finish up. One, you guys are moving to the SEC. Now, I know that you've been hit with that a bunch. You and the University of Texas are both going to the SEC. So how do you see that for you as a golf coach, uh, for your university in general? I mean, how's that going to play out, do you think? Well, it's a couple different thoughts come through my head when we talk about the SEC. Number one, I'm really excited for our university and for the athletic department. I mean, are you kidding me? Uh, Everybody understands what's going on here when it comes to the cash and the and the trickle down effect to all of our programs it is what it is and mm-hmm. for me personally you know i'm a big football guy and and i i'm gonna love it when the university of alabama is rolling to norman oklahoma or maybe i do get to make a, a special trip to you know baton rouge, baton rouge louisiana and i mean go to some of these places that that uh you know are just high-end energy i mean did, did you guys watch the alabama lsu game this weekend it was mm. incredible right so that is unbelievable now on the flip side uh big 12 golf on the men's side because that's all I, I don't really pay attention to to necessarily the women's side as much but on the men's side i would argue that we have the toughest conference in the big 12 when it comes to uh all all of the athletics us and, and and men's basketball, I feel like, I mean, it is so difficult to win a conference championship. Uh, you know that, I know that, right? And 
And so it's not like going to the SEC men's golf conference is going to change how hard it is to win a golf conference. Uh, even though they've got great teams in the SEC, I mean, phenomenal teams, and their depth is strong, it's been so t- difficult to win a conference championship in the Big 12. So, you know, and, and we're out here in the central part of the country, so it, you know, a little bittersweet to not be able to go to a place like Prairie Dunes maybe ever again for a conference championship, which we're going there this year, and I love going there. It's, uh, it's you know, just a, a slice of heaven up in Hutchinson, Kansas, and probably my favorite golf course uh, in the central part of the country, arguably, that in Southern Hills. I mean, anyway, so I'm looking forward to the move. It really doesn't change our scheduling that much, right, uh, other than our conference championship. But we're going to have open arms about the whole deal. We're excited about the move, um, especially from an athletic department standpoint and, and the trickle-down effect of what that means for, for, for our golf program. I agree with you. People have been asking me, how will this change schedules? I said, well, for the top schools, it's not going to change anything they do other than the conference championship. They'll still be in the same invitational events, the same type of events. So, and obviously the, the Southeastern conference just got a lot stronger with the university of Texas and university of Oklahoma golf teams going down there. So, and I I think I'm pretty excited about the teams we have that we're adding are really good golf schools as well. So it, I think it's all just part of this conference realignment that's just really a lot different than it used to be, but that's okay. Anyway, we're going to miss you. We will, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> we won't see as much, but, uh, it, you know, in April, but that's okay. All right. Last question I've got for you today. A lot of people think of you as being a tough guy. And one of your players this week said, you know, you used to be tougher than you are now and all of that. I know that there's a side of you that not all these people get to see all the time, certainly uh, at tournaments, but uh, I know you're a girl dad. So that's got to melt your heart. Talk to me about being a girl dad. Well, there's nothing greater than being, being a dad, number one, but, but being a girl dad um, is something special. Uh, you know, I only grew up, I had an older brother, right? So all I knew is kind of boys, boys, boys. Um, and when when I was blessed with two two female extra females in my life, Addie and, and Harper. Addie is a freshman in high school here at Norman High, and Harper is um, she's eleven now. She's a fifth grader at McKinley uh, on campus, and both of them are are phenomenal. Couldn't ask for two better kids, and and thankfully I have a great wife. Um, you know, as a coach's wife, um, it's so difficult just in general of what they end up having to manage, but also just the family piece. You know, we're out here in the central part of the country too. I don't have family to kind of help out. So my wife has been a single parent uh, for, you know, uh, arguably the, the the last 15 years, um, well, 14 years being out here. Uh, you know, we have a lot of help with babysitters and whatnot, but she, she does, she does an unbelievable job just managing our family. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the girls are, they're awesome. I mean, I get to be around 20 year old dudes all day long. And then I go home and I'm around these, these ladies. And let me tell you the difference between the amount of words that get spoken at our (laughs) dinner table is unbelievable. And it's great for me as a dad, because I can just kind of sit back and listen to it. Now at times I'm going, how can you guys be talking this much? This is impossible (laughs) to have this many words. Kind of reminds me a little bit, you, you McGraw, I mean, you talk a lot, you know, and I mean, these, these ladies, they will talk, 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 talk. 
And, but it's, it's honestly great for me because I get to hear about their day. And I know when it comes to boys, I don't, I'm not a boy dad, but I know those boys, cause I was one of them. They don't talk very much when they go home. <laughs> not just, at all. Uh, our, our nature is not to spill the beans and, and uh, a lot of uh, beans get spilled at my house. So I get to kind of soak that all in. Well, uh, thank you for, for sharing that. A lot of people don't know that part about your life. They see you as a competitive coach out on the, on the golf course, and they don't get to know that there's a, a soft daddy on the, on the inside there. So that's great to see. Well, listen, Ryan, um, I appreciate you spending an hour or so with me today, just kind of sharing some memories. We have a lot of history going back, as we said, but you also gave some great perspectives on just coaching that I think will help the young coaches that listen to this podcast a lot and some of the veteran coaches too that that could hear some of these things i know i learned a couple things already so thank you for that no thanks for having me on you guys do a great job and uh, i appreciate you having me on